Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sarah Peck, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. One of the things that really knocks women off their feet in the transition to motherhood is the time period after having a baby and then transitioning back to work. And for a lot of women, women more than men, what ends up happening is they don't have a good enough parental leave policy or they don't have enough support or there isn't available childcare or the numbers don't work out. And so for one reason or another, women take a lot longer to stay at home and raise children, especially in the United States, before returning to work. And so there ends up being this gap in their career path or their career track where there's one, two, three, four years where they're doing the incredible work of making babies, which is not a small project, I will editorialize right now. That is a huge project and something crazy amazing that women do. But then they get to this point where you have to figure out how do you get back into the workforce? What does that look like? And for a lot of women, there are challenges of confidence, of emotional readiness, of skills training, of networking. There are all of these hurdles for getting back into work, let alone some of the internal and external perceptions and cultural norms about who you should be and and what you should look like and what you should do. So today I get to interview Rita Kakati, and she is the founder of Be Bold, Be Uma, and they are specifically dedicated to empowering individuals and women to succeed at life and work after a career break or some form of transition. They're based in New York City, but they have offices in San Francisco and London. And the company Uma was named after the Hindu goddess Uma, who is a mother, wife, sibling, and daughter. And she named it such because she wanted to depict the many hats that women wear. So a little more about Rita, because she's really fascinating. She has more than 15 years of experience in finance and healthcare. She spent 10 years at Goldman Sachs in London, and she's a fierce advocate for diversity and equality issues. She was awarded this prestigious Excellence in Citizenship and Diversity Award for her outstanding contributions at the firm. She then led business development at a CNS clinical trials service provider and then relocated to New York. This is a high-powered career woman we are talking to. However, she, when she went to have children, ended up taking a significant break. And it was then that she found the inspiration and the motivation to start UMA. She is also a classically trained Indian dancer and an oil painter. So I cannot wait to have you listen to this episode. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. One of the questions I always get is, how do I fit it all in? How do I do it all? How is there enough time to create a successful business and be a good mom? And it's not about doing more. It's about working smarter and figuring out what's important in each of those hours. For me, feeling engaged and on top of my game has a lot to do with food and how I nourish myself. If you want to know more about good nutrition and eating well, I am thrilled to tell you about the sponsor of this episode, Alavita Nutrition. They make 
everything about healthy eating and eating better easier for new moms and for busy women on the go. The founders, Anna and Megan, are both entrepreneurial powerhouses juggling careers and growing families, and they totally get it. So they give realistic solutions for getting healthy food on the table. They're registered dietitians. They help people get pregnant. They help people have healthy pregnancies and then rediscover and recover in your postpartum body. Also, for Startup Pregnant listeners, if you use the code STARTUPPREGNANT, you get 20% off of their self-paced programs or their nutrition consultations. I have all the links in the show notes so you can check them out. And thank you, Alavita Nutrition, for being the sponsor of this episode. All right, everyone. I'm so excited to welcome Rita to the show. Rita, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Sarah. So I want to ask my favorite question to start the interview, which is, would you tell us about your morning? What time did you wake up this morning? And what do you do first when you wake up? Well, the kids generally always wake me up. I set an alarm for 6.15 a.m. every morning, but they miraculously always get up at 6. Um, and <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> usually, my son generally just runs into the room and wakes me up. He needs to go potty, literally drag me out of bed. And that's my first morning call. <laughs> and then dressing up my daughter and getting her ready after that. And how old are your that's, kids right uh, now? So my daughter is three, three and a half, and my son is five. Okay. And so what's the morning look like getting these two children wrangled and all the other household things that you do? <laughs> it's pretty crazy. It's busy. I guess like every other parent out there. So we just have to get the morning routine done. My husband and I both work. So we have to kind of get ourselves ready in the process, get them fed. They're both doing summer camp this week as an example. So it's an extra step for them to do. And just getting them fed and ready and changed and hope they're happy with the clothes we've picked for them. And <laughs> there's not extra laundries that often happens. One of them has, you know, wet themselves. So we have to do an extra round of laundry in the mornings. It depends. So it could take anywhere between, I guess, a quick half an hour to an hour and a half, depending on where we are and what's happening. Yes, that is so familiar. I learned after my first kid that the Nine o'clock meetings were really hard to consistently show up for because that meant my <laughs> child had to agree with the clothes that he was going to put on. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and everything had to go perfectly smoothly. So then what happens? Do your kids go to, I mean, you said summer camp and during the rest of the year, is there child care? And then where do you go for work? Yeah. So they both are preschool right now. Actually, my son's starting kindergarten soon, but my daughter's still in preschool. So we dropped them off. Either it would be my husband or myself. We take turns. We sign them up for early drop-off just because we do have to get to the office. So we drop them off and then we have a really, she's like family now, our nanny, who we've had for quite a few years now, and she does the pickups. I will try when I can to do one of the pickups at least, you know, once every other day, once a week at least. Usually to surprise my kids, they get so excited when they see that myself and my husband turn up at school. And where I work, I work actually in Midtown in Manhattan at my company, Uma, which is really focused on helping mothers like ourselves get back to work again after career break. So that's sort of what I do the rest of the day. So this is something I really wanted to have you on the show to talk about, because one of the things that you focus on in your work with Uma is how difficult and challenging that transition from taking time away to do mothering can be, and then what it looks like to go back to work. And you have a whole company designed around supporting women. Can you first tell us about 
how you got the inspiration for this company and how you came to start it? Like, how was Uma born? Sure. So my own background is I actually came from investment banking from the UK, and I did that for 10 years at Goldman Sachs. And then I transitioned into the healthcare industry, and I was in business development. So I was traveling around the world doing that. And then I got married, and I moved to New York. And soon after, I was pregnant with my son, who's now five. When I was pregnant initially with my son, and I went to speak to my at-the-time boss, I had the conversation. I still remember going in feeling really excited about announcing that I was pregnant to the world and you know, having this next step of my journey starting. But I was very, very surprised at his response. You know, My benchmark was the UK, where I would have gone up to a year off, paid leave, and mentored going back to work again. But instead, I was offered six weeks leave, unpaid, and I'd had to file for disability to get it. So to me, that was not just shocking, but it was just like a slap in the face. I remember leaving that meeting feeling just being on the verge of tears, going in, feeling really happy to leaving, almost feeling like I'd done something wrong. And I was being punished, almost like I was a child and I was caught stealing or something like that. And it was a very, very harsh reality. So I ended up quitting that job. And I ended up taking almost four years off to raise my two children. My daughter, she was born 21 months later. So I took almost four years off to raise them. And when I thought about going back, so when they were both at preschool and I had a bit more time on my hands, I couldn't believe how hard it was because I had that gap on my resume. I went to meet just friends of mine really for informal coffees, but there was a complete fixation on the motherhood gap, really. It's like all of the experience I had in my banking, my finance days, in my pharmaceutical days just didn't exist. There was just a concentration on whether I still had it even in me to work again, you know, let alone the fact that, and I tell people this all the time that, you know, I thought I was working hard when I was in investment banking and traveling all the time, but that's nothing to being a mother. It's 24 seven, you know, you are sleep deprived. You are arguably the best cook, cleaner, housekeeper, nanny, chef, everything in the world, but you do not get any recognition for it because you're not paid for doing it. It's something like you take, you do, And it dampens your confidence after a while. I lost my confidence when I'd been out of the workforce and I would think of any excuse almost not to go out. We used to have this babysitter that came like, you know, once in a blue moon for date night. And I would think of any excuse not to go out. You know, my kids were both sleeping through the night and I would come out with things like, well, you know, just in case one of them gets up in eight hours, I might just stay back. You know, just the silliest excuses ever. And the main reason for that is because I didn't have the confidence to go out. I didn't feel good in myself. I almost thought, what would I talk about if I went out? You know, these are old friends or old colleagues, certainly of my husband's. And what would I talk about? Would they value anything I have to say? That is such an emotional struggle and something that we take for granted that we all go through. When I chose to go back to work, it wasn't just a matter of getting out of bed one day and said, hey, I, you know, I kind of want to start a job. There's so much more to it. There is an emotional element to it. How do you maintain that family dynamic? You know, even having that conversation with my husband and saying, hey, I'm thinking of, you know, going back to something, in my case, starting my own thing. And my kids, they were used to seeing me every single day doing the drop off and the pickup. And it was just me to then having to think about, well, how do I even hire a nanny? What do I do? And that was a really hard thing for me to kind of step back from being a hundred percent mother to balancing that with saying, mm-hmm. okay, well, I, I need to have my own life after a while. Um, yeah. So this is something I think that's so interesting because so many women face this and sometimes it's like a 
tumbling downstream kind of effect. It's not like they would have planned it this way, but they end up taking time off and then childcare is really expensive. So they take more time off and then it ends up being two years. And then you get in this spot where you're just stuck a little bit. Like, what does it look like to go back to work? And what am I doing? And how do I get out of this? I would love to know more about your experience. Did you intentionally want to take time away to be with your kids? Or what was the impetus for making the decision for the time that you took at home? What was that like? Yeah, I mean, initially, I you know quit my job when I thought, well, I'm not just taking six weeks off. That was just way too short for me to even consider. Once I got into the whole motherhood thing, because initially when I was working, I was in the corporate world. I was traveling. I didn't have any clue what it was like to be a mom. Initially, when I was pregnant, and my son was sort of inside me. I was thinking, well, you know, when he's born, I'll just take him with me. And I'll just, you know, wherever I travel, they've got really good childcare facilities. I'm sure at these hotels, I'll just stick him in there. I mean, little, little did I know that, you know, what about feeding? What about breastfeeding? And what about this? And like, you know, potty breaks and that. I, you don't even think of things like That's that. such so a mental complete, gap. It's so hard. Complete. Yes, You have no clue because there isn't really any support out there even for pregnant and what do you do and how to prepare you and what if you think about taking time off and how to go back. So these are part of the things that we try to address at UMA. Like, you know, we go on that journey with you. And it was hard for me. And then for me personally, I actually took four years off, as I mentioned. And, you know, I fell in love with every single thing my kids did every day. And I was very completely opposite. You know, I could not picture myself doing what I did when I had my working hat on months earlier. So it was a very, very different change for me. And then again, going from that to feeling, oh, you know what, I want to go back to something. And for me, the way I realized I needed to go back to work was actually quite a different story. I had to travel very suddenly to India, actually, for our family purposes. And, you know, at the time, I thought, well, I'd always traveled with my kids in the past. Every time I go to the UK, I take them both with me. I'm very used to doing that journey. But I thought, "Mm, India, I don't know. What if they get sick? What if they get malaria? What if they get dengue? Whatever it was, I just think in these worst case scenarios. So I didn't take them with me. And in hindsight, I probably could have done. I mean, there was so much help available. When I went, it was just me. I was suddenly back to almost being single me again. You didn't have my husband. I didn't have my kids with me. And after the first couple of days of looking around, you have the habit of always being on the look if your kids are around or like, you know, are they going to hurt themselves? or Are they going to cross the street? You know? then I almost like forgot about that. And I just became me again. You know, I'd met old friends, family that I'd worked with before. And, you know, even like jokes that friends were making, I just laughed at them. And this was the first time I actually laughed at something for me, rather than something funny my kids have done or something else that I saw on TV that I thought was cute, you know. And I realized that I missed me. And that during my journey of motherhood, where everything was 110% focused on the kids during the day, I'd forgotten who I was. And, you know, little things like my husband would get home from work in the evening and he goes, hey, how was your day? My day was the kids. So, you know, after a while, you kind of feel like you run out of things to talk about because for myself, because we're like, okay, so did you read anything interesting today? I'm like, well, we read Goodnight Galaxy again. Or, (laughs) you know, did did you see anything interesting on the TV? Well, yeah, we saw Peppa Pig or like Thomas the Tank Engine, whatever it was. So basically everything was 100% about the kids. There was nothing that I had in my life or my day. And I didn't realize that until I was taken out of the situation. So I didn't realize what an emotional struggle almost it is when you feel like you've almost lost part of your own identity when you put on that motherhood 
hat on. And that's when I know, you know what? I miss me. me. And when you realize that, if you realize it, then I thought, okay, I've got to do something about it. And that's really what started off my process of thinking I need to find something and getting on that journey of, you know, speaking to old friends and colleagues and then eventually thinking, you know what, this is, this is hard. And there's definitely an issue out there where people are almost denying that motherhood is an actual job and it's an actual process and arguably the hardest job on the planet. I want to do something about that. And when I was off with my kids, you know, taking them to their classes or, you know, their gym classes, music classes, whatever it was, I had met so many other incredibly talented women in that journey. They had their own unique stories, but very, very similar where something had happened, like if they'd chosen to take time off, it was hard to go back in or they felt they couldn't do it again. Or they'd gone and met some recruitment or headhunting specialist who almost brought some of them down to tears because of how bad they made them feel because of that gap on their resume. And that's when I thought, you know what, something needs to be done about this. And that's really what planted the seeds for starting UMA, to empower these incredible women to kind of get back on their feet again and to help them sort of re-explore the workforce again. What you're saying is so interesting because when you take something that is all-consuming and full-time, like caretaking, and then you isolate one person to do it, usually, almost always, women, and then you ignore it culturally. You make it invisible, you ignore it, and you also make it financially invisible. There's no value system in our economic understanding. It's like a complete brain switcheroo. I'm trying not to swear, but like a brain brain twist. Insert the F word there, but it's just such a (laughs) mind beeper. And I'll say that there's a friend of mine in our local neighborhood. He's a stay-at-home dad. And I remember we went to the park to hang out with the kids together and we were asking him questions. And I was like, oh, have you read any good books lately? And he Mm -hmm. looked at me with these vacant eyes and was like, books? for myself. (laughs) And I realized it applies to any human that is quarantined into nonstop parenting. It just happens to be for all women in the society we've built. But it is really, really challenging. And I think then you feel like you're in quicksand, or you don't even know who you are, and you have to get out of Mm -hmm. it, which is, I think that's so cool that that was the catapult for you to start UMA. So tell us, what is UMA? What does it do? And what was it like to start it? How did you get started? Yeah. So it was literally an idea out of doing something to help, you know, these women. And initially, the reason I thought about it was because there were so many gaps in my own journey. I thought, well, how can I fill those gaps? You know, the first thing was that, you know, I lost my confidence. And that is a major thing. So we set up networking events that we have periodically in the cities that we set up in. So we set up in New York. And we have these networking sessions where the purpose of that is to bring these incredibly talented women together as a forum, just a chat, just a listening. We have guests come on, we have panel discussions, we have speakers. And the whole point is to feel empowered again, feel yourself, feel strong when you come in. I mean, I've been to lots of networking events where you can just go in and you have some people that just go straight in there and then, you know, chatting away and giving out business cards and whatnot. And you have others where you kind of have, you know, go around the side and they sort of feel it out a bit and they don't really say much, but they're observing. At our networking events, it's more of a, let me call it a bit of a support group in a way too, but everybody feels empowered. When people come in, they meet people, like-minded individuals that they can meet. It could be even someone that offers them a future job because these are accomplished professionals that are there too. And you feel like everybody gets you. They understand where you're coming from. You are not being judged for it. You are understood. And that power of getting together, 
with like-minded individuals is so strong that you cannot even beat it. You can't even put it in words, you know, but I know when people leave, they're like, wow, that was amazing. The energy was great. We just absolutely loved it. So that was the first pillar, so to speak. Then the other thing was, I didn't know I had to fill up a gap on my resume when I went to meet friends for informal coffees. So the second part of what UMA does is we have these UMA Academy workshops. And the purpose of the workshops is to prepare these women, build confidence again, rebuild your skills, rebuild that emotional journey again of what it's like to go back to work and then look at career counseling. Like, okay, you've taken a career break. What is it what you want to do next? Okay, let's look at filling that gap on your resume. Let's look at your interview skills. We did a lot of research initially when the company was set up and I spoke to so many companies and contacts that I did have. And I said, look, why is there such a gap? What is it stopping, you know, these talented individuals of going straight back in when they're coming back to you and said, hey, I used to work here. Let me back in. What is stopping him? And the two main factors that these companies have really unanimously said is that we don't feel they have the confidence and we don't think they emotionally ready. So those are really two really strong things. So one thing we do in our workshops is concentrate on that. We try to bring back that confidence so that when you are thinking of going back, there isn't any situation where you think, oh, can I do it? Can I not? You know you can do it. You're ready. And then emotional readiness is basically that self-discovery journey that I've spoken about. When I was taken out of the situation for a week and away from motherhood, away from sort of my family life, I realized that who am I? And it's almost discovering that the person you are within what makes that person tick? You know, think about who you were, Sarah, who I was like, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. We wore different hats. Yes. You know, we start off as single women having our own personalities, very kind of on level kind of par with our male colleagues and counterparts. We go to university, we graduate. Some of us, you know, then go and find jobs in different places. We are individuals. Some of us then go choose to get married and some of us then choose to have children after that. And we, as women, particularly, we wear different hats and we get into that box. And whatever hat we have on, we focus on that. And it's quite easy for us to forget what our other kind of hobbies were, what Mm -hmm. other things were. And that's the important part of what we try to focus on, bringing that back out. If we are going to succeed in whatever we do, it might not be the right time to go back to work. And we talk about that journey too. But in order to be successful and to succeed, you need to be recognize who you are inside as a person are you emotionally ready for it what is that conversation you have to have with your family with your peers with your children about going back in do you have childcare in place for example what is your plan b like if the nanny suddenly cancels or the school is off it's a snow day and you are now back at work what do you do how do you stop getting that reputation that we mums get for not being fully vested in work because we go off because, you know, they're off because the kid is sick again type thing. What do you do about that? Right. Because this is all part of why we're not being successful in going back into the workforce. And that's really part of what we tackle and establish in our workshops. It's like and then the- skills training and emotional mm-hmm. confidence training. Wait, you were just going to say something else. I want you to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, sorry, sorry. Keep going, please. <laughs> <laughs> then the final part of our journey is, okay, well, how do you get back to the workforce after that? You know, whether it's through us, whether it's, you know, just for yourself through your own means. So we have the third part is an umership program, which is where we speak specifically with companies about curating job experiences to get back. And again, going back to my journey, there was nothing around 
when I was looking to go back to softly let me go back into the workforce again. Now, by softly, I mean, like, you know, for example, you know, there are full-time roles out there. But at the moment, when you go in, if you do an internship, for example, you're doing a full-time internship. You're going back in full-time. Any of the returnship programs out there, it's great they have them, but they're all going back to full-time programs. And there's nothing emotionally getting you ready to go that. So it's very normal to see, you know, people and attrition at certain sort of stages, which is not necessarily a great thing for the companies. So what we try to do is we try to curate a platform and job experiences to go back. And we call this an umership program, where you might start off if it's, you know, a part-time role or a full-time role, you might start off with mornings only to start with, or you might work from home a couple of days, and you're slowly building up to whatever that role is. So we're not changing the role, we're changing the way of getting back into that role, you know, and it's a huge journey going through taking time off whether it's motherhood whether it's for any other reasons out there and we're just holding your hand initially in those stages but we're not trying to change the nature of the job you go back to eventually because we don't believe we as women need that we are very competent we know what we're doing we're very successful we just need a little bit of a helping hand like anybody else does if they've taken time off Mm. and that's basically what we try to do That's so interesting because you're focused specifically on the moment of transition from being away and getting back into the workforce. And I think this is such an important business strategy too. Sometimes it can feel like I want to take everything on. Let me like take on changing the workforce, (laughs) (laughs) making making the world a different place. And why don't we tackle culture as well? And let's change these beliefs. And it's wise what you're doing to focus on. Here's the moment. And we want to create the systems and tools for support right here. Right. Exactly. I want to talk about the two things that you said in terms of rebuilding confidence and gaining emotional readiness, because I think in addition to what you've said about, we have all these skills, we have all these hobbies, we have all these things that we used to be good at, you know, our 18-year-old and 25-year-old self. One of the things that was really hard for me in the transition to motherhood is that I was actually good at things before I became a mother. (laughs) Like There's something really great about getting to a place in your career where you feel competent yeah. Or like, you know how to deal with stuff. Yeah. And motherhood can sometimes, or just parenting can just sometimes be like, wow, I suck at changing diapers. I suck at breastfeeding. <laughs> I suck at, like, I don't enjoy you reading the yourself. same book over and over again. <laughs> Thomas the Tank yeah. Engine drives me bonkers. Like yeah. it can be a double whammy because you can get your confidence blown because you're doing this thing that you've never done before and the yeah. learning curve is steep. So my question for you is, Do you have specific tools that you can share in terms of rebuilding confidence? Like what's the process that you use to help people begin to rebuild this muscle? So, I mean, that's a really, really interesting question, actually. So just remember everything that you're going back to doing, you've done before. And I'm going to give you one example. And this is to people that are currently in the workforce as an example. If somebody's gone on vacation and they've just taken a week off work and they've switched off their emails or their Blackberries or their iPhones and they haven't checked, that Sunday night before you're going back, you are going to be nervous and you're going to feel the sort of butterflies in the pit of your stomach and you're going to feel just, you know, apprehensive about that first day back. What's awaiting for me? What's going on? So that in itself is a mini version of being sort of like questioning your own confidence. Can I do it? Is there something I miss? That kind of thing. So imagine that multiplied enormously for somebody who's actually been off the workforce for a very valid reason. So my point of giving you that example is to saying it's something that continue. I bring up with companies all the time to say, just remember that and how you used to feel personally. And this is the reason we need to do something here. 
In terms of rebuilding your confidence, though, you've got to remember these are things you did before. And if you think about, you know, the first time you're checking, I don't know, FaceTime in a long time, or you're setting up an Instagram account for the first time, you're like, oh my God, how do I do that? I've never done this before. Like, I'm not millennial. I can't do this. And then you start playing around with it and then you can do it. And then you practice it twice and then you're an expert. So my point is, we have learned something from scratch. We've given birth to a new human being. We have learned, like you said, how to change diapers, how to make food for them, how to feed them. And no one's teaching these things. It's our bodies and we're learning this ourselves. We are learning so fast and so quickly that in a way, there's nothing we cannot take on as mothers. And thinking about the confidence part, just remember that you were doing something incredible it's a highly emotional job. It is completely fine to have bad days. We think, oh my God, I just can't do it. It's normal. You know, you're working 24 seven being a mother in the first place. So it's really, really normal to think, God, I just need that. Take a nap, you know, or just need that breather or, you know, put that safety gate around my child and put their kind of outside kind of crib outside so they can kind of sleep there while I just take a nap myself. It's very, very normal to do those things and cry. It's normal to do that and think, gosh, I just need a breather. That's just sort of the first step, just remembering that you are human. You're doing something incredible. And if you want to go back to something you did before and it's the right thing for you to go back to, it's absolutely possible because you did it before and you'd be so surprised how quickly you pick those things up again. So, yeah. That's such a key one. I remember when we chatted before we got on this interview, we were talking about how it can feel like it will take three to six months to get back to it on a job. And mm. most women actually find it takes one to three weeks, maybe right. six weeks. Like right. you've got these old skills and you're like, I've known how to ride a bicycle for a long time. The first right. day was a little tricky, but you know, by Saturday, yeah. my seat hurt a little bit. And then the next week was fine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and it's something we do as women. We're experts at doubting ourselves. And there's a study Harvard Business School did years ago that women will apply for jobs if they check 100% of boxes, but men will apply and get those same jobs only checking 60% of boxes. And that is a pure confidence thing. We as women, we are perfectionists by nature. We will think, oh, there's one tiny thing on that job description. Oh, I'm not sure if I can do it 100% if I'm not going to apply for the job. Whereas the person who wrote the job description, they probably don't even know what it means themselves. You know, it's like, just go out there. If you can do most of it, absolutely go out there. And that's the truth of it. And these men come along and people said, well, I don't know if they should even be in that job. They don't know half the stuff of what they've applied for, but they get it. It's because of confidence. It's because they think, you know what? I can do some of that stuff on there. I can do most of it. I'm going to go apply and I'm going to just be confident when I interview and people like confidence and they'll get the job. And even though we're more competent, we do lack confidence just by nature of being women. And a lot of this is just sort of saying, look, we all have it inside us. Let's get out there. Let's get empowered again. Don't doubt ourselves. Know we've got this. Know we've done the hardest job on the planet. Therefore, everything else will be a step back compared to that and just go on with it, you know? I love that as a key takeaway. If you look at a job description, you're like, eh, can I do half of it? Cool. <laughs> and can I figure it out? Great. Like that kind of swagger. You don't have to know 100% of it, but we are so trained, especially as women. And I remember mm -hmm. reading, I'll see if I can find the article and I'll link these in the show notes for everyone. Something similar happens when people are 
getting promotions. When a male goes in for a promotion, they'll talk all about the future and they'll say, these are the things I can do. This is what I'm looking forward to. And because there isn't actually evidence or proof of the future, it's all Mm -hmm. this storytelling, visioning about the future. People get really excited by it. And women will talk about their accomplishments, what they've already done. And they'll say, you know, we had a 70% success rate for this project and we successfully did three of these in the last year. But because there's data and it's in the past, it's easier to criticize the woman and say, yeah, you did an okay job, but it was like 70%. (laughs) So you're not ready for a promotion yet. And it's such a double standard. So I love this idea of just being like, yeah, I can do it. And also I got this. Although so much easier said than done. Do you have any personal strategies for I love this word swagger for like <laughs> getting your swagger. Like, do you have routines? Do you have ways that you dress up or habits that you engage in? Do you ever do pep talks? Like, what does that look like for you? Yeah, so absolutely. I mean, in fact, one of our sessions, our interview session that focuses on that, because the way you dress, that gives you confidence. You know, an example, if you're going out and, you know, you brush your hair or you get your hair done, you just feel a different way. If you just stand up in your posture and you have kind of a straight back and you put your shoulders back and you put your chin up a bit, you feel like you can take on the world a bit more. I don't know, for me, if it's that time of the month, it's a grotty time for me. <laughs> but I have to, you know what, I've got to get out of bed. My kids are next door and they're screaming. They still need to be fed, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that actually rhymes. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> should write a song on this. But... um uh, <laughs> you've got it you have to like get yourself out there and you think I can do this and like what's ahead and you look ahead and to your example that you gave about you know getting promoted at work you look to the future you look ahead every morning when I sit at the breakfast table with my kids with the night before we chat about what we did but we talk about the day ahead what are we going to do today sometimes my son is like oh I don't want to do this I don't want to do that or it's something new and I'm like hey but what are we going to do and oh my goodness did you do that yesterday well think about what we can build today why don't we go in there and ask the teacher if we can build something so we always talking about the future, what we can do, because I want to instill in my kids the future of how I think, you know, you can get empowered, always thinking about the future, always thinking about confident things, about creativity, about empowerment, that vision you have, because you all have it. But we doubt whether anyone values our vision. Of course they do. Just let people hear it. But don't Mm. doubt yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, so don't say, oh, oh, but and justify it. We justify ourselves a lot. You know, I joke about people all the time in one of my workshops we put on that when men leave the desk, they just leave the desk and they leave and say, hey, you know, if you want need to contact me, just, you know, give me a call. If women leave the desk, it's like, oh, I'm just going to go and use the restroom if that's okay. Right. So it's like, you know, people don't need to care about everything you're doing, but just go, take a back. And then people are going to start sort of separating that stereotype thinking, oh, she's gone off because her kid needs to go to a doctor's appointment. Just leave the desk if you need to go. Just leave the desk and say, hey, I'm going to be off, but you can contact me and I'm going to log on later on if you plan on doing so. The rumor that men get is, oh, they must be interviewing somewhere. You get that same rumor as well. Let people <laughs> say that about you, you know, and, and it's easily, you can do that. It's just changing mindsets one person at a time and it can easily be done. That is it's hysterical. All in swagger. <laughs> I'm getting a little bit of a like playful attitude right now where I want to just pretend where I pick up myself and I'm like, oh, this is a really important client. And I go and I'm going to the closet to pump. But no one needs to know that. Right. <laughs> there yeah. is a bit of that pretend, which I think you can exercise like a muscle. And I love what you said about getting dressed. I didn't start wearing red lipstick until I was in my 30s. And I remember it was earlier in 2018 this year. I had just gotten through the first trimester of pregnancy and I had spent so much time being exhausted and fatigued and vomiting and basically feeling incompetent. 
I had a hard enough time responding to emails. And I was like, everybody right. knows. Everyone knows <laughs> that I just am not able to keep up. My husband came in. It was like late one night. And he was like, basically, do you want a nookie? Like, do you want to you know, do this stuff? And I just burst into tears. And I remember saying, I just have to feel like a competent human being. I oh just goodness, yeah. I have to feel like I can actually hold myself together. I can't see how you would find me sexy like this. And <laughs> I can't feel that way. And so the next day I went out and I ordered red lipstick on Amazon. Like I paid the extra $5 to get it shipped <laughs> same day. And I woke up and I put red lipstick on and I put my nicest clothes on. And I was like, you know what? You're just going to fake this. And uh -huh. I felt better within a couple of days. And I mean... For people who are curious, yes, we did get back in the nookie, nookie, nookie. But okay, <laughs> that's enough of that. Uh, <laughs> like these little tools of waking up in the morning or going out and getting your hairs and your nails done just because you want that, like your shoulders back in the posture up. I love that. Hmm. I mean, it's so important, like you said, exactly. You're just feeling good about yourself. So, so and it, with me, it's wearing heels as well. You know, that does it too. I mean, yes. it took me a long time to fit back in my shoes because obviously <laughs> your body just yes. changes. Yes. And you think, oh my God, once upon a time, I used to be able to walk in these. And now I'm like, literally, I look like I'm just like a penguin right now. Yes. So, but there's something about once you wear them again, you practice and you get yourself a new pair of more comfortable heels, you just feel taller, you just feel more confident. And that's yes. one of the things with me too. Heels <laughs> and lipstick and like your nicest outfit. And yes. I swear something between, because I'm in New York City as well, that 45 minute subway ride from my home to the event that I want to go to where it's like women at Forbes and it's this big networking event. <laughs> if I put on the yeah. heels and I put on the red lipstick and I get there, it's like I kind of re-meet myself. I'm like, oh. This is another version of myself that I just haven't said hi to in a really long time. Like she's in there. <laughs> we just got to like wake her up and get her out. Yes. So you also spoke about emotional readiness. And then it feels like scenario planning. Like you were yeah. walking people through, well, what if this happens and what if this happens? And I think that is such an effective strategy because sometimes we can get lost in our brain loops of just worry, worry, worry. Can you yeah. talk about some of these kind of scenarios that you walk new moms through or people who are returning to the workforce? Like what kinds of situations do they practice, if you will? The easiest example is childcare. One of the reasons women get the reputation of not being 100% focused on the work is because suddenly if, you know, school shuts down all of a sudden or there's a snowstorm or, you know, some of this thing, you have to literally disappear as the primary caregiver, you just disappear off the desk. And they think, oh, that's why. And a lot of the time when they've been questioned at interviews and they get what you would call a quote unquote uncomfortable questions is because at the end of the day, they want to just know what are you going to do? Like, you know, is there going to be someone who's going to get the work done at the end of the day? And all they care about is, can you get the work done at the end of the day? And you just have to convince them, yes, you can. Little things like, you know, getting your childcare organized. It's such an important thing, such a thing that you would take for granted. Oh, yeah, I've got that. Could you have a friend, like a parent of a friend of yours that could just do a pickup? If you can't make it one day, your kids can just have a play day, you know, and then you can just sign them up in your school as an extra emergency person to call for a pickup. That's helped me out in certain situations where I've literally been in a meeting. My husband's at work and uncontactable, but we've had like an emergency, another parent who's been very happy to, you know, pick up my kids when the nanny can't get there and they manage to do it. And then the nanny calls in sick. What do you do? You know, it's things like, well, do you have an emergency, like a city type of option or another kind of company that you can call? My Little Darlings is one that I personally use, and it's helped me out 
so many times where, you know, my nanny suddenly called in and it's time the school's there. And I've had the occasion where my daughter, my three-year-old, has been waiting for somebody to pick her up because the nanny's just been late or she's, you know, something's happened where she's been sick or her subway train is delayed and she cannot get there. So I've had to call up these, you know, companies and I said, okay, I have them. They're on my favorites on my phone book and I call them up. They get to the school and I have this set routine that I have at home, which is a very simple set of instructions I leave behind for anybody who's having to get into my apartment for the first time and looking after these two mm-hmm. complete kids I've never met. And it's little things like that. And obviously, you know, I'll do things and I rush back home when I can. But these are sort of things you can do to stop you from panicking and having this in place and having someone vetted and reliable that you can kind of rely on for that kind of thing. The backup because, plan. Yeah. 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 For people listening, we also interviewed Renee Warren. This reminds me of something she talked about, which was having systems manuals or operations manuals for the family. Yes. Which I was just like, oh, yeah, yes. right? Like we have them for our work. It's just like, here's the operations manual for getting into the house, for feeding the children, for putting yes. them to bed. This one's a complicated, yeah. you know. <laughs> so, exactly. I want to ask you a serious question, too. I think you've written about this on the UMA blog. What is the cost to society if we can't get women back into the workforce? Like, what is at risk here? What are we losing? So remember this, when you first go into the workforce, it's pretty much 50-50 men and women, right? There has been research to show that, you know, once women, you know, go through life-changing events and motherhood is the highest of those, it drops to then 25%. As you get more senior, it goes to 15%. And then it's like, at, I think at 12% to 5% now, which is appalling as a statistic of women getting back in the workforce, and especially getting into senior positions. There's also been other research to show that companies that do have a level playing field in terms of equal amounts of women and women, and not only that, that have women in senior positions in the workforce actually benefit themselves and have a better impact on their bottom line. And what is the reason for that? Well, if you think about it, jobs these days are very different to, say, back in our parents' day or, you know, where it was very much more kind of, it was more labor intensive. Now it's a very service oriented at all of the job markets out there. And in terms of being service oriented, who is better at customer service? Who is better at speaking? Who is more organized and more process driven? Women by nature are. So it makes more sense that women should be in these positions and more senior positions of control and leadership and guiding different companies in their diversity initiatives, in their board meetings, in their steering committees, because ultimately it's better for the company in terms of moving forward. Women are more empathetic. We know that. And it's better for society as well to get them utilized. You might have read this as well in one of our research papers that the kids of working mothers end up themselves becoming more successful later on in life. By that, they're more empathetic, they're more successful, they do not give up, they see the challenges that their parents have had to go through. And especially if the mothers are working, they've seen that later on. So that's almost sort of inherent in terms of why we should be kind of doing something for ourselves, as well as why companies should be investing in getting this important talent pool back again. What has it been like for you to become a founder? And to journey into entrepreneurship after your path in finance and banking and being in so many different places, what has been both surprising and what has been challenging about entrepreneurship (laughs) for you? So it was one of the most liberating things ever because of the fact it's yours. You get to pick and choose everything you do. It's your vision coming to life. 
But on the other side of that, it is brand new. I tell everyone, it's for me, it's like having a third child, a newborn, because it's not holding its head up yet. It's still in its diapers a few years in. It is definitely more potty trained now and self-sustained and self-running. But when you're an entrepreneur, you are doing everything yourself. I remember back when we started a few years ago, little things like setting up your own outlook or having your website. I remember thinking, I bought myself a laptop thinking, okay, I've got a laptop now. Okay, let me get my email set up. I didn't even know that I had to set up, you know, I called Best Buy where I bought the computer from. I said, well, where's my email? How do I get it set up? I said, well, do you have a domain name? Do you have a host name? Who's your server? Like, what's that? You know, and you take these things for granted that, oh, I've got to set it up myself. And I remember that eventually when I got my website set up and getting my email, I'm used to working at big corporations, big, you know, an investment bank and a big sort of pharmaceutical kind of company where you just come in, you just switch the button on and it's all set up for you. You have to do that all yourself. And that is one example. You kind of have so many hats on. Being a founder, you are not just sort of the visionary, the ideas person, the creative person. You're also the doer. You're also the HR person. You're also the operations person. You're also the finance officer. You're also the technical officer. And you're trying to balance all of these things. And you are up very late at night sometimes. And that's why, again, go back to the example of it being like having another child because it is 24-7. When you are at the starting stages of a startup, if you are not there to make sure it gets done, you know, it won't get done until it's more self-running, you have staff and everything like we are now. But certainly when we started, it was a different story. So <laughs> You're so right. It's so true. It is really hard in the beginning. It's like this big hump, this hurdle to get yeah. over. And it's been a question I've been thinking about so much is how do you design a business that can ebb and flow with you at the helm or you stepping away? I think that's such an interesting question to grapple with. I don't have a good answer, but it's one that yeah. I think about. And then I'm right there alongside you. How do you build the <laughs> systems and hire the people and like scale it so that you're not then drowning in all of the different right. hours of work that have to be done, which yeah. you can do it yourself for a short period of time, but... For a long period of time, then I just wonder, I ask myself, is that the business I want to be built? Like, is, <laughs> am I real? Is this really better than a corporate job? Yeah. So, mm, so yeah. interesting to talk to you. Thank you for sharing all of your wisdom and expertise. Where can people find out more about you and your company? Can you share your website and your social links? Yes. So our website is bboldbeuma.com. That's B-E-B-O-L-D-B-E-U-M-A. Dot com and all of our handles are at be bold be Uma. so we're on facebook twitter instagram linkedin you can look us up and if you have any questions you can also send us an email at info at be bold be mm, that's so great thank you for taking the time it has been such a great conversation just to get on the phone with you and talk about all of this so thanks for being here <laughs> thank you sarah thanks for having me and you know, I always say this and I mean it. Leave us a review on iTunes if you like our show. It takes a few seconds and it really does help us a lot. If you want more of what we're talking about, go over to startuppregnant.com and get on our email list. We send out a weekly newsletter with time-saving tips for parents and entrepreneurs. And I always include a weekly gadget or tool or something awesome that we've stumbled upon to help make your life just a little bit easier. And as always, you can reach out to us at hello at startuppregnant.com. We love hearing from you.